Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or at filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Hey, everyone. I know it's been a long time since my last episode of Watch with Jen dropped. I hope you've been enjoying the Watch with Jen and Friends episodes, the conversations that I've been having with some great writers and interesting film minds that I think are starting to get a little more focused and hopefully more entertaining to listen to. I mean, you've been very kind from episode one all the way on, but I'm really loving these new topics episodes where we focus on an actor, director, or theme of my guests choosing as well as the movies that they would like to discuss. I watch them beforehand, and we just talk about the movies. The most recent one might be one of our best episodes, I think, that we've released so far. I say we because although it's a solo podcast, this one is, I should say. The Watch with Jen and Friends episodes are really collaborations, and I think my most recent one, the episode I did with Roxana Haddadi on Sofia Coppola's filmography was just a great collaboration, a great discussion, where we really went in depth into her movies and the whole thing. It's the longest episode I've put out so far. I'm kind of one of those people who usually thinks like an hour for a podcast is good. I don't like to go beyond that very much. But this one actually went the running time of Lost in Translation. And we went through all of Sofia Coppola's films. And I think it was really worthwhile, especially to fans of the filmmaker, because we talked about the themes that go throughout her filmography and our own relationship to the movies as well. So I do encourage you to check out that one if you have not. I also did a really fun one with William Boyle on Mickey Rourke. I tackled fall and Halloween movies with Nell Minow back in October. I know it seems like that was 10 years ago, basically, because in 2020, time is moving much too quickly. So yes, that was actually just one month ago. Wow, that's crazy to think of. I was joking with a friend, remember when Parasite won Best Picture 30 years ago? Because it feels like it, essentially. Another podcast that I put out in the last few weeks, it was like the only thing that I could do during the entirety of the election week when it was so stressful, was a Q&A pod that is exclusive to my Patreon subscribers. And I'm calling Watch With Jen, Ask Me Anything, where you can send me questions and I will answer them, obviously within reason, of course, not giving out my father's middle name or social security number or anything crazy like that. So I put out the first episode. I had some technical sound issues that week. So while the future ones will be just completely exclusive to My Patreon subscribers, I did go ahead and unlock that episode to all listeners. So you can find that over at my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash filmintuition. I want to wish all of the American listeners a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. 
I know this year holidays are feeling very strange because we're quarantining or trying to stay home and stay safe, or at least I hope you are. So I do want to just send good vibes, best wishes on a nice holiday weekend at home. I thought I would try to get this episode out. And today I'm tackling five movies. Actually, one is a trilogy, so you are getting two bonus titles that I think are fun hangout movies where even if you're solo this holiday, you're going to feel like you have like five people over because of the great ensembles in some of these films. And I also tried to choose just uplifting movies, probably more romantic comedies than I usually go for. In one episode, I try to mix it up a bit, but I think it's a life-affirming genre, and right now we could all use a laugh. So without further ado, I will go ahead and kick things off. And I am going to start with the trilogy that I just teased out. The first film on the list, or the first trilogy, I should say, is the Spanish Apartment Trilogy also known as L'Auberge Espagnol. The trilogy also includes the films Russian Dolls and Chinese Puzzle. All movies were written and directed by Cedric Kapleish. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Please forgive me if I am not. Now, I never wanted to do this. I always wanted to recommend movies that are just completely readily available on streaming. But after talking to some of you, especially those who love physical media and are cool with trying to seek some of these out, I thought, why not go with one that I love? Because the first film in the trilogy, L'Auberge Espanol, aka The Spanish Apartment, is not streaming. So I do need to warn you. However, you can find DVDs of this film very, very inexpensively all over the web. And I encourage you to check that out if it sounds good to you. I love this series, especially the first and the third movies. You know, it's weird. Usually in trilogies, the second one seems to be the best. But this time around, it is parts one and three. Two is entertaining, but it's a little bit of a filler movie, I will say. The Spanish Apartment centers on a 24-year-old economics graduate student in France, played by Romain Dury. Xavier is his name, and he's kind of aimless. He's not really feeling his studies over in France and a little bit panicked, as most of us can relate, either after high school or college, where you're thinking, am I ready to go to the real world? is what I'm studying exactly what I want to do with my life. So he is feeling that when the movie begins and decides to get the hell out of Dodge. He goes to spend a year in Barcelona with the Erasmus program and winds up sharing an apartment there with people from all over Western Europe. The film works as just a great hangout piece. It's very funny It kind of feels like Cedric Kapleish's own version of like the Antoine Joanel series by Truffaut, except these are a lot more humorous and lighthearted, although it does hit on some heavy things. 
But the movie also works as an allegory for the European Union because all of his roommates are from the Western European countries that joined the European Union. And his relationships with the others even reflect the country's governmental policies when it came time to decide whether they wanted to form the EU. Now, you don't need to know any of that. Like, I didn't realize that was what was really going on for the first several times I watched the movie, because I just enjoyed it for a fun, cool hangout movie with great scenery. It's extremely funny and kind of captures perfectly that period between childhood and adulthood where, you know, relationships are new and you're testing the waters and trying new things and trying to figure out just who you are and what you want to be. So you don't even need to watch this movie thinking about the EU. But when a professor kind of explained, hey, that's what was really going on, it just completely blew my mind. And then the next time I watched it, I started studying that and thought, this movie is brilliant on a whole other level. It's extremely colorful, fun, has a really good soundtrack. You're going to hear Radiohead's No Surprises throughout, also some Daft Punk. The cast includes not only Romain Dury, but also Audrey Tateau and Kelly Riley, Cecile de France. So you're going to see some really great people in this series. And it was actually super popular among the art house set when it came out because of Audrey Tateau. She had just been an Amelie and completely made the world fall in love with her because how can you not watching that film? But she's a supporting character in this. She's not in it that much, but in order to help sell it, they put her face very prominently on the front of the movie poster, which I always found very funny. This film did come out in 2002. And as I mentioned before, the next follow-up was called Russian Dolls. That one is streaming, as is the third movie. Russian Dolls came out in 2005. It kind of follows Xavier's romantic complications. The same characters show up again and again. There's some new settings in addition to Paris. This time we have London, St. Petersburg, Moscow, of course. It's a fun movie, sure, but I would encourage you to really seek out the first one because if you just go in and you try Russian Dolls, you're going to be like, well, why is Jen recommending this? So just fair warning there. Chinese Puzzle, however, is excellent. That is the third film. It was made in 2013. It takes place 10 years after the previous movie. It is set in New York City this time and deals with some immigration issues. And of course, Xavier's romantic life and what is going on with it. In this one, he's actually moved with his wife, who is one of the characters, maybe not one you're going to guess from the first film, to New York. They have two children. But once in New York, they split up. Of course, he loves his children so much, and he still really cares about his ex-wife, who has been in all three movies. 
that he just stays in New York and wants to be with his kids. So we deal with some immigration issues as well. It is funny, romantic. It pays off on a lot of the characters that we've seen throughout the series. They're going to be back as well. Clopiche did a really good job of working everyone in, in a way that feels natural. I mean, sure, uh, going in, you're kind of like, wait, how many are in New York now? Like, how did that happen? But it makes sense. And I think it also shows the evolution of a life and how you meet somebody and maybe the timing isn't right or you are in different parts of your life at the time and then enough years go by that suddenly the person you were closest to feels distant and that previous person is the one that you find yourself drawn to. So it's a really interesting movie from that angle. Again, I can't recommend this trilogy enough. I think people who love the Richard Linklater films, the Before trilogy, will especially love it. Although these are a little wilder and frisky and very, very funny. They're not as philosophical. You're not going to just see people like talk for two hours, that kind of thing. So I encourage you to check these out if you don't want to go down the DVD route and you just want to dive in. Go for Chinese Puzzle. I don't know exactly how that would play if you haven't seen the other movies, but I think you would still probably enjoy it. Though I encourage you to look for L'Auberge Espanol or The Spanish Apartment. The next film is actually one of two movies that I talk about, especially so much on Twitter, that I was convinced. And I'm still even like, did I not mark it down? Didn't I do this one already? So depending on how long you followed me on Twitter, you've probably seen me write about it way too much or heard me talk about it on this podcast, actually, because I know I have. But I'm hoping that my notes are not wrong and I haven't recommended this movie before. I looked over my list. I didn't see it. So we're going for it. You guys ready? It is Night and Day. That's K-N-I-G-H-T and Day from 2010. It was directed by James Mangold. James Mangold is a great filmmaker. He made movies like Walk the Line, Logan which I didn't love as much as like other people were crazy about Logan. I thought it was good, but I was more of a fan of Walk the Line, Mangold's Copland, and of course, Girl Interrupted. But this is the James Mangold movie that I watch the most. It stars Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Peter Sarsgaard, Viola Davis, and Paul Dano, just to name a few. The movie was a big hit at the box office, but critics were kind of lukewarm on it. I was like one of the few that loved this movie. It came out the same summer that Salt did. Salt is one I recommended. It was a Philip Noyce film with Angelina Jolie. I know I talked about that one on this podcast too, and probably referenced Night and Day. They came out like a month apart. Both great action movies that I just adored and still love to watch. I actually have Salt right now 
on top of my Blu-ray player, like ready to watch this week. So these are good movies. Now, Night and Day is an interesting one. It's one you can't really define. It's a romantic action comedy screwball globe-trotting jaunt. There's just so much to this film. It's a lot. And I think the fact that it tries to cram in so much is maybe what threw some critics. The start of the movie, we meet Cameron Diaz, who is returning home to Boston with car parts to restore a car for her sister's wedding. She plays June Havens and collides with a handsome stranger at the airport, Roy Miller, that's Tom Cruise. So you've got Cameron Diaz reuniting with her Vanilla Sky co-star in totally different circumstances this time around. First, she is bumped to a later flight, but then winds up on his plane, and there's barely anybody on it. They flirt, they enjoy each other's company. She goes to the bathroom to freshen up, And when she does that, we realize that this man has a double life. He is a spy. Because while she's in the bathroom, like trying to psych herself up to basically flirt and try to start something with Roy Miller, he is meanwhile being attacked and engages in a huge, like Jackie Chan, practical prop style fight on the airplane. It's incredible. I have to tell you that sequence is so fun. So he has to fend off all these various attackers, knock people out. And when she comes back to the bathroom, he like casually just tells her what's going on. And she laughs because it sounds crazy, right? Then we get into a dive with the airplane where he has to land it in a field. June gets knocked out the next day, awakens to notes from Roy after he had told her things to be on the lookout for because we discover that a CIA agent played by one of my favorite actors, Peter Sarsgaard, believes that Roy and June are actually working together and are operatives. So suddenly this poor woman's life is in danger just for getting on the wrong plane and meeting the wrong man, essentially. So Roy shows back up, the two of them are thrown together, and then they are bound for all kinds of wild, dangerous adventures around the world. There are tons of action set pieces, great charm and chemistry between the leads. You can tell they genuinely like each other, which is always helpful, especially for films that have a romantic undercurrent. It's a glossy movie. It's beautiful to look at. I think it works like gangbusters. It's a mix of a number of genres. So you might expect one thing going in, and it'll be like six other things by the time you finish. So I do think it will appeal to a wide variety of viewers. Night and Day is one like the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy that just gets better the more times you watch it, I think. So if you're looking for something to totally take your mind off of 2020, go for Night and Day. 
And just like that film, our next one is another movie that I talked about incessantly on Twitter. Actually, I bonded with some high-profile other Twitter users about our love for this movie, including Dana Delaney, who said she watches it every year, and Ryan Johnson. I think that's the time he started following me because we just completely dug this movie, and it was like crazy to find other people that were a fan. It has since grown in cult status, especially after he made Knives Out and started listing it as his influences. It is a movie that I first saw in high school. My English teacher had a husband who wrote mystery novels and wrote some really good mystery novels. He was actually like a best-selling YA writer. And I guess when she told him, because I was the film critic for the paper and he'd read some of what I'd written and liked my taste, he made a list of movies that were crime or mystery that I should check out. And this was at the top of the list. He said she needs to see, and so I'm passing it on to you, The Last of Sheila, which came out in 1973. And it took me several video stores to be able to track this thing down. But when I did, I totally got what he was talking about. So I've loved this movie ever since the late, mid to late 1990s. It was directed by Herbert Ross, who's a great filmmaker, has made all kinds of popular fare. I've talked about his movies so much on these podcasts. I think I've recommended like two or three other ones he has made. And it was written by Anthony Perkins, as in Norman Bates himself, and Stephen Sondheim. So really, how can you get much better than that, essentially? These are brilliant writers, and they love a good puzzle, which is what the film is overall. It stars Richard Benjamin, Diane Cannon, James Coburn, Joan Hackett, James Mason, a startlingly handsome Ian McShane. I have to tell you, when you watch this movie, you're going to be like, who's the dreamboat? And then realize it is Ian McShane, and of course, the equally gorgeous Raquel Welch. It opens outside of a big Hollywood party where Sheila, the wife of a movie producer, Clinton Green, James Coburn, is killed in a hit and run. One year later, he asks his Hollywood friends and colleagues, all of whom were at that party one year ago, to come on a one-week cruise in the Mediterranean. The only thing is he loves games, and on the first day, he kicks off an elaborate puzzle game where each invitee gets a card as to their dirty little secret that they would kill to hide. And then each night, they go on a scavenger hunt throughout the islands that they're by to unmask a different player's secret. But among the group, we have actors, directors, Screenwriters, a gossip columnist, all of these people have secrets of their own. And is this game a little too close to home? Is it really not a game at all and about trying to figure out who really killed Sheila? So that's quite a hook. It is one that 
If you're looking for a cool double feature or a triple feature, I would pair this with, say, Sleuth or Death Trap. So if you like those other movies, you know what you're in for for this. But of the three, this is my favorite. I did enjoy the other two, of course. Who doesn't? But The Last of Sheila is funny. It's weird. It is so 70s, you guys. The fashion is great. It ends with like an insanely upbeat rendition of Friends by Bette Midler. Like, you've got to have friends. And coming after all of the craziness and murder that happens in the back half of the movie, hearing that pop up at the end is just a big laugh. So it is a trip overall. This is another one that kind of walks the fine line between satire of Hollywood and mystery crime. I haven't recommended this movie to somebody that hasn't come back and said, oh my God, I love that. So it has a really good success rate. And I can't encourage you enough to seek it out. It is available on like manufactured on demand DVD from Warner Archive, the good people at Warner Archive. I do not believe it's on Blu-ray yet from them, but I'm hoping that that is going to change soon. And it should also be available just to rent as well through a number of streaming retailers. The fourth and fifth movies that I'm going to be recommending, or if you want to get nitpicky, since I did talk about a trilogy, I guess this would be films number six and seven, go together. They are both modern retellings of Edmund Rostand's 1897 play Cyrano de Bergerac. So you might know which ones I'm going to be talking about here, although there's been a lot of movies that have been inspired by this play and also some of the retellings. But I'll take these one by one. So the first one is Roxanne from 1987. It was directed by Fred Scapizzi. I hope I'm saying that correctly. That's another name that throws me. It was adapted by Steve Martin, who is one of my favorite people. <laughs> he wanted to adapt the play, but of course, being Steve Martin and knowing his audience, he wanted to make sure this time it had a happy ending. So he wrote 25 drafts of Roxanne in three years until he found the one he was happy with. The film stars Steve Martin, of course. Daryl Hannah, the gorgeous Daryl Hannah, Shelley Duvall, who's always a joy, Fred Willard, Rick Rosovich, and Michael J. Pollard. It is a lot of fun. It is an offbeat romantic comedy that has such a terrific ensemble and some lines that are like instantly quotable and so Steve Martin. There's even a couple times where the delivery of the lines, there's one in particular where Daryl Hannah comes out with, I love your nose. And the way she says it sounds like Steve Martin. I think it's hard to read his dialogue and not kind of want to do it like Steve Martin at times. So I thought that was really cute. 
the movie centers on Charlie C.D. Bale. So instead of Cyrano de Bergerac, we have C.D.B. again, Charlie C.D. Bales. Steve Martin is the fire chief of a small ski-slash-tourist town of Nelson, British Columbia, and the movie was shot in Nelson, British Columbia. He's intelligent, witty, athletic, but being that it's based on Cyrano, he has an abnormally large nose. This time they've given a reason, not being, you know, back in the 1800s where this wouldn't have been an option, but in the 1980s, he can't have it surgically fixed. He wants to desperately, but he has a dangerous allergy to anesthesia. So he's kind of stuck with it. He's very popular in town. People love him. It's very hilarious because the fire department is probably the last group of people in Nelson that you would ever want to call if your house was on fire. They are sort of like the keystone cops of fire departments. So he's always trying to, like in one scene, he uses uh, Walter the Blue Danube to try to get them to work as a team and carry the hoses. It is quite funny. And early on in the movie, we get to know his god sister Dixie, Shelley Duvall, who owns the town diner. She also has several rental properties in town. Meanwhile, a beautiful grad student, Roxanne, played by Daryl Hannah, who is focused on astronomy, arrives in Nelson searching for a new comet. She develops a good friendship with CD, especially after they meet awkwardly cute when she gets locked out of her house and the door that locks her out eats what she was wearing. So she's essentially nude and like hiding. And so he has to help break back into this rental property and let her in. And he is immediately smitten by her. However, she develops a crush on a handsome but dim-witted fireman, the new fireman in town, Chris McConnell, who is too scared to talk to her, like gets physically sick at the idea of having to approach a beautiful woman. He actually, after like they eye each other from across the room, goes in the bathroom and literally escapes because he is too scared to go talk to her after something goes wrong. Meanwhile, she thinks he is a deep thinker after she sees him pick up a SART book for a coworker. And Chris wants to date her, especially after finding out that she is attracted to him. She is bold and tells CD that she likes him. But Chris gets CD to write letters for him to Roxanne because his come on lines and his idea of seduction is a laugh, essentially. And so CD writes these letters for him. But in doing so, in describing his attraction to Roxanne, he begins to fall deeper in love with her until eventually, of course, things come to a head with this love triangle. It is a sweet movie. It's sexy. It is just laugh out loud funny. It's weird, delightfully weird, too. Like, 
they didn't need to run every joke past a committee. They just went for it in places. It's not offensive or anything, but some of the jokes are just completely off the wall. And it's so cool to see that, especially today, when comedies, as a rule, just aren't as funny as they used to be, I don't think. Because nobody's really taking these chances anymore or trying to make characters who are just this interesting. And Roxanne is a standout. I revisited it a few weeks ago and just knew that I wanted to recommend it to you guys as well, especially if you have not seen it. The other movie based on Cyrano de Bergerac that I adore is The Truth About Cats and Dogs from 1996, director Michael Lehman, and it's written by Audrey Wells. It stars Uma Thurman, Janine Garofalo, Ben Chaplin, and a young Jamie Foxx, like before he was the Oscar-winning Jamie Foxx. This movie flips the script around so that it's from a female perspective. And it's actually one of the first movies that I remember writing about for my high school paper. And just going there on my own, like I wasn't assigned it. Sometimes I was told, hey, you go watch this movie and write about it. But in this case, this was one I went to see and knew I needed to share it with everyone in the movie. Abby Barnes, played by Janine Garofalo, is not only a vet, she's also the host of a radio show called The Truth About Cats and Dogs, where she answers questions about pet care from any caller that is in trouble and dials in. One day, a handsome British photographer, played by Ben Chaplin, calls in for advice about a dog that he put roller skates on in order to get the right shot. And now he can't get them off the dog, and the dog is very threatened, very defensive. So she helps him basically become submissive enough to let the dog know he's not going to hurt them and get those skates off the dog. He sends her a thank you gift and asks her out. Her own insecurity, though, about her appearance. I mean, it's Janine Garofalo. She is adorable, but she's very nervous about what she looks like compared to other women. This is Southern California, of course. Inspires her to describe what she looks like because he says, okay, I'll meet you there. What do you look like? She's like, why do you need to know that? Well, so I can recognize you. That freaks her out. So she describes herself as though she were her model neighbor, the beautiful Uma Thurman, who she barely knows at this point. Then she has to go approach Uma, who she encountered one evening when a gentleman was harassing her. And in an ode to Cyrano, Abby uses her violin bow as though it was a sword. In Roxanne, Steve Martin's character uses a tennis racket like a sword. So these films do kind of pay 
fun tribute to the original source material. And so Abby intervenes and helps stand up for Uma Thurman. So they had met by this point, and then Uma agrees to go kind of be her wingwoman when she meets Ben Chaplin at this bar. Like, they're going to pretend that they're friends. And soon, of course, after meeting them, a love triangle develops. Together, as the film kind of puts it, puts it out there, they form the perfect woman or the idea of the perfect woman that society has kind of thrust upon all of us. There is the overt beauty of Uma Thurman as tall and graceful. And then there is the intelligence and wit and sexy voice of Janine Garofalo that seduces Chaplin over the phone. So she is kind of the brain and Uma is the body. I believe that's even a quote in the movie. Of course, that short changes both women and the film is aware of that. And that is one of the things I love about this movie is the genuine care and friendship that develops between the, the women. It would have been far too easy to just have these two women be butting heads the whole time or putting, you know, a man ahead of their relationship. And this one is smart enough to address like the jealousies and insecurities that can arise but then also make you realize friendship is a love of its own and it's equally important. The movie's also very smart in the way that it deals with consumerism, questions about the beauty industry, judgments, and what we value as a society, looks versus personality. But it's extraordinarily funny, kind of like, as I mentioned with La Berge Espanol, you don't have to think about the bigger picture. Not that this movie is dealing with the EU or something on that level, but it is asking some very vital questions. You can just watch this as a romantic comedy and realize that, yes, some of the messages are getting across, but if you've seen it before or you want to look into it a little bit more, you can appreciate the thesis of Audrey Wells, the screenwriter and future filmmaker, who I have talked about on this podcast before, as something extraordinary and very refreshing. The Truth About Cats and Dogs is another one of those movies that I miss, romantic comedies where the adults are intelligent and interesting. Today, we don't have romantic comedies very much. They're kind of relegated to cable or made-for-streaming channel films. And most of them are kind of lukewarm. The characters seem like interchangeable, beautiful, stand-in, cookie-cutter people that don't have much resembling reality. And I miss that, especially about the 80s and 90s romantic comedies, which I think were kind of the heyday. And Roxanne and The Truth About Cats and Dogs are the epitome of that. So this week I did some things differently. I didn't just give you five films and tell you, oh, this is on HBO or this is on Stars. 
because I'm starting to realize some of you are listening to them months later and might be looking for them on those services and thinking, what the hell? So I just wanted to pick a group of films that I thought you could maybe use this time of year, especially with the holidays, some films to make you laugh, ones with great ensembles. And you can find them at your leisure if you wish. I know probably all of them would appeal to all of you, of course. Everybody has different unique tastes. That's what makes everyone so interesting. But hopefully there are one or two or maybe more of these that you either like or are looking forward to checking out. So just to recap, the first film I recommended was indeed a trilogy, starting with the 2002 film, L'Auberge Espanol, aka The Spanish Apartment. Part two is Russian Dolls, which I would not start with. And part three is Chinese Puzzle, which if you don't want to seek out the DVD, you can go ahead and watch Chinese Puzzle. I don't know how it will play if you're not very familiar with the ensemble cast of characters, but it's a great group of movies. Next, I recommended 2010's Night and Day by James Mangold, which is a lot of fun. Then I mixed it up with a crime movie that's also kind of a hangout, puzzle, comedy, satire. Another one that, like Night and Day, kind of just flirts with all kinds of genres. So that is The Last of Sheila from 1973. Then we revisited some adaptations of Cyrano de Bergerac. The first is Roxanne from 1987, one of Steve Martin's best movies. And the second is The Truth About Cats and Dogs from 1996 with Janine Garofalo and Uma Thurman. So I want to thank you so much for listening and enjoying the podcast. I love hearing from you and I look forward to releasing more episodes of all three of these various offshoots, Watch with Jen, Watch with Jen and Friends, which are my conversations with great minds, and also the newest iteration, Watch with Jen, Ask Me Anything. Until then, take care. I'm wishing you and yours a very safe and happy holiday season and Thanksgiving if you're in America and you celebrate it because that is this week as well. So I will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. I am Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.